the great lesson here, people, is George Lucas's brilliance in terms of women wasn't just having strong female characters, but having strong male characters be attracted to those strong female characters because they are strong females. They are strong women. This is exactly why Jin and Cassian are attracted to each other, and Han and Leia are tra- and Luke to various degrees are attracted to each other. It's why Rey and Kylo are attracted to each other. So as always, thank you for joining me. Enjoy the podcast. Kick back and relax. The force is strong and is with us always. And never forget. We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. They have no idea we're coming. Take hold of this moment. The force is strong. Make ten men feel like a hundred. Take the next chance. And the next time. You're all rebels, aren't you? Save the rebellion! Save the dream! The Bizzle! Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Oh, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, people. Welcome to another Bizzlecast film commentary by yours truly, The Bizzle. I've been mostly doing tag team these days, but it felt like time for my own, and I've been wanting to rewatch Empire Strikes Back since I saw Solo, a Star Wars story, a few times so badly because of how the relationship between Han and Amelia Clark's character, Kira, um, informs the Han-Leia amazing in this movie obviously yoda luke all-time great i'm gonna get you right into the commentary if you've been with me before you know that i'm just gonna basically count you down um and uh so that we're lined up uh, in terms of the film if you haven't well it's pretty easy you're gonna queue up your sound files dvd digital uh, uh, files media player blu-ray whatever the fuck you got Two zero 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 on the timer. I'm going to count from three to two to one. I'm going to say go. When you hear me say the word go, you should hit play and it should line up pretty nicely. I like to put on subtitles, maybe a little ambient sound for the music and the ambiance. I leave that to you. So cue up your files, do all the stuff you got to do. And when you're ready, come back. All right, here we go into the countdown to Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. All right, three, two. One, go. All right, ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast, welcome to Star Wars Episode 5, The Empire Strikes Back, arguably one of the greatest movies of all time. And on most people's list as the best Star Wars film of all time. We will get back to that. I am thrilled to be here with you guys. I'm going to do this one solo. I actually did this one solo a couple years ago before The Force Awakens never released it. But now, after seeing Solo, the movie a few times, which I really liked, it informs us to an awesome degree. So, I'm trying to project it on my big screen here. So... Solo a Star Wars story while suffering from being too close to both the nearest Star Wars movie and a lot of Marvel and other movies uh, is doing terribly at the box office, but the fan reaction is excellent. And the reason the fan reaction is excellent is because there's major fan service throughout the movie, uh, uh, arguably too much, but for the most part is really entertaining or just fun and surprises you, the, the viewer, in some ways. But... 
because of the relationship with the romantic interest, which is really kept in the background to a certain degree with Kira, played by the amazing Amelia Clark. I was so interested in how that would inform Han's relationship and feelings towards uh, relationship with and feeling towards Leia in this movie. And it did not disappoint in that area whatsoever because it gave me something I was not expecting that totally informs his both rational and irrational behavior towards Leia. So if you guys would be, I'm a bit of a sap, uh, even though there's great space stuff in here and Star Wars stuff. And I can't wait for the Jedi stuff with Yoda. I am going to be talking a lot about the relationship between Han and Leia, because that's what ultimately makes this movie unbelievably special. All right. Here is the Star Destroyer. Already looking a little bit more white and Macquarie-esque from the first movie, which is great. Pretty much, I'm going to say all, most of the Star Wars movies start with the Empire, which is a great device, uh, both within the movie and across the movies. Projecting these on my HDMI, it's looking a little choppy at the moment, but my recording is not, and my computer is not, and therefore we are good, and there it hits, boom. There's a great episode where Zeb and the droids are forced to, like, capture and deprogram one of these droids in star wars rebels but they are still using this design today we see it in rogue one we see it a ton in the main opening action scene of or set piece i should say of a solo star wars story where it forces val to kill herself basically because she has no way out because she's surrounded by these bots here's the tauntaun not fucked with by lucas one of the great things about this empire, and yes, guys, I am watching like one of the newer special edition versions because I can't get the old version, but I also don't want the original special editions, which are terrible. In this one, they add the Wampa, the real Wampa, which actually is effective, and some flashiness in Cloud City, and that is about it. And that is why, by far, by far, the Empire Strikes Back's very special editions are the easiest to tolerate. Not even close. I might have to change my screen settings here. So Han's already part of the rebellion. And, you know, uh, Simi and I, in our uh, commentary of A New Hope, and our talks leading up to Solo, we thought he was going to be the womanizing... Oh, there's the Wampa. We thought he was going to be the womanizing scoundrel that we were always told he was before all this. But it turns out he started a good guy. He got caught up in some stuff, got caught in some debts, and already here's a good guy again. And, you know, they make it a nice plot device, like Huntel was really going to leave them all here. Uh, but then Luke's, you know, he, he's looking for any excuse, and his buddy Luke being caught out there is enough. All right, here we go. Here we go, guys. I often talk about how I'm not saying Carrie Fisher is the best of the three main actors in the original Star Wars trilogy, but she's the most consistent between the three movies by far. She's already at a super high level more than these two guys in terms of comfort with the situation in the initial one. Uh, and she's still even more comfortable in killing it, you know, like wooing the Ewoks and so forth in Return of the Jedi. 
But this is where Harrison Ford became Harrison Ford. I mean, he was a great-looking guy, charismatic and funny and exciting in New Hope. But this relationship here is what launched him into superstardom. And I don't think Carrie Fisher gets enough credit for it. Look at her. She is so filled with disgust at him. And I've talked about in the past, if you guys, I won't dwell on this, but if you listen to Carrie Fisher's own books where she talks about, uh, if you listen to it, you know, you know, verbally talks about her, you can read the book, their little fling in the, during the first movie that resulted in them being particularly happy with how it ended. It's not that they didn't like each other, but this look of disgust here from, from Princess Leia to Han is definitely informed by her general disgust at this much older man who should be much more mature with his emotions. But look at him right here, acting like a little boy. It's just like Harrison Ford. The thing is, they discovered the the romance in the first movie, and they played up every angle of these two individual actors in the characters. Han, we need you. Yeah. And this is the best writing, people. Right here. Joss Whedon, J.J. Abrams. The best writing is when both people are right and both people are wrong. She's right in that he needs to be focused on the mission, the cause, and he, but he just wants an admission of her liking him, which is very juvenile and not normally associated with alpha males uh, in old school cinema, which is why I've said that she is the traditional old school man and he is the traditional old school woman in this particular relationship in terms of how feelings are expressed in terms of the position of dominance and power uh, and sensitivity and so forth, uh, which is just so brilliant. And that's why I don't care what anybody says when force awakens, when those two look at each other for the first time in the movie, after not seeing him for, you know, each other for a while, both in real life and in the movie scenario, it, it, it hits so real for me because they just have that connection. And Harrison Ford, who's famous for avoiding the public, being kind of a scoundrel in real life. I mean, not in terms of illegality, but just in terms of, you know, kind of being a maverick, I should say, uh, was very, very, very affected by Carrie's passing. He did not see it coming. Nobody did. And Mark Hamill expressed it openly. Harrison Ford mostly kept it private, but it was obvious that it affected him. These two made each made each other. While Carrie Fisher never achieved nearly the big screen success as him, she did remain involved as a writer and producer and so forth, an occasional actor in Hollywood. So they're both commanders here, and they're generals in Return of the Jedi. The way they can act with these bit side actors who have no business being in these movies is super impressive. Tauntaun looks great there. Big puppet. But, you know, as we've seen in Rogue One and now in Solo, we can see grunts on the ground actually hold lines and, like, be compelling characters, even if they only have two, three, four, five lines and get killed. You know, red shirts become more tragic, you know, if you just give them some personality and some good lines. So this is a movie of kind of three parts, right? There's the initial Hoth stuff, and then Luke goes to Dagobah, they go to Cloud City, and then they converge. 
in some ways I think that's probably why people love this consciously or subconsciously is this is, you know, Shakespeare pioneered the five act structure, but the, the original Western structure is, is just three acts. And this movie is very much three acts. What I particularly love about Rogue One, even though it shares some similarities with this movie, is that Rogue One builds and builds and builds and builds and builds. And, okay, Bizzle, shut up. Here we go. Luke with the Force powers. First time we've seen... I mean, we know he directed the torpedo with some Force sensitivity in New Hope to blow up the Death Star, but this is the first, like, straight-up warping of, of space, the space-time continuum as I, as I talk about it. Give me a lot of... Oh, there it is. Oh, there's the arm. The arm was in the original, but the big wampa, I believe, is all new. I, I dig it. I'm fine with it. This is what should have been done in the other ones. But New Hope, they added Jabba and too much Tatooine. And then in Return of the Jedi, they created a whole new ending that's not Yeb Yeb, which is, is even more painful because it's actually kind of beautiful, the new ending. But I hate that it needed to, they felt like they needed to be changed because Yeb Yeb just made me tear up and feel great about life when I was a kid just seeing the rebels dancing with the Ewoks I think Lucas probably recognizes this his greatest artistic achievement as well and that's probably why he fucked with it the least C-3PO gets way toned down in this uh, movie Um, he's more perceptive like Leia, he senses trouble in Cloud City. We'll get to look at that little thing driving around that's on wheels. It's just amazing practical effects. So, well, Jedi will always have a special place in my heart because that's what I grew up with in the early mid eighties or mid late eighties, I should say, as a little kid, and just love watching Jedi over and over and over again because it was so exciting and gave you such a great feeling. This movie is undeniably the most artistic and interesting of the three. And that's why it's on the top of most of people's lists. So I'm watching this both in comparison to Rogue One, which I'm getting closer and closer to just calling straight out my favorite Star Wars movie. Maybe we'll get back to that. Not the best, just my favorite. Um, And because of how the solo in this movie starts to resemble the solo in Solo, a Star Wars story that we realize is sort of him all along. And he built up because he was rejected by Kira and because he was, you know, forced to survive on a life of crime. He sort of built up a shield between the solo star Wars story origin story. Oh, look at them there. See, this is great. In, in, In 1980 for them to give this woman space and not be sexist about it and almost be scared of like princess Leia's unhappy is so progressive. And the fact that Carrie Fisher is basically like 21, 22 here, it just shows you the respect they all have for her. I mean, every, everyone knows it. I, I, I'm going to go on and on about how great Carrie Fisher is. Everyone knows it. Oh, they're closing the door. Look at her. I mean, it's already way more cinematic. They're shooting up on her face. Her hair is still braided and beautiful, but much more practical. Her little white down jacket outfit with the pants is both adorable and very attractive. She looks like a porcelain doll. I mean, it's just... Carrie Fisher burned so bright in her whole life. It's amazing she made it as long as she did. 60 years or 62 years or whatever it was. I wish it was so much longer, but 
She burned like the a bright blue baby star. <laughs> Hugging the ground. Here it comes. Here comes the Force Visions. This is why Obi-Wan, you know, and this is this this is honestly the first major clue of that Lucas had some plan for what future movies would look like. Because otherwise, his letting Vader kill him based straight up makes zero sense in A New Hope. He does, you know, counsel him to use the Force at the very end and attack on the Death Star in the first movie, or the fourth movie, whatever. But I think he definitely had this in mind. I don't know if he had Yoda in mind. In fact, I don't even know the story of Yoda. After all these years, I've avoided where the idea for Yoda came from. This is great. This was something that was like, would normally be gross, but because of the lack of coloration coming up here, when he cuts open the dead uh, Tauntaun, um, and because you know it's a puppet (laughs) and model, and because of how brilliant it is in saving his friend, you just go with it. You're like, yeah, you put in this dead animal's guts. That's exactly how you'd stay warm. Ben. Ben. Ben, of course, the name of Kylo Ren. Ben Solo. Still a matter of discussion, by the way. Haven't heard a great explanation for the decision to name, uh, for Han and Leia to name their kid Ben. I mean, there's some obvious reasons, especially on Leia's side. Oh, uh, just till he gets the shelter up. Yep, because he's got to protect himself. <laughs> so Lawrence Kasdan nerdy Jewish guy I think he's even younger than Lucas he's probably like 26 when he wrote this script Lawrence Kasdan went on to write Raiders of the Lost Ark a whole bunch of westerns like some of the greatest movies ever writes Empire Strikes Back writes Raiders of the Lost Ark for Lucas and he just wrote Solo, which is getting criminally underwatched. Okay, let's watch the special effects here. Let's see how this looks. I love this music. So I had the full, like, four CD, you know, all the music in the outtakes soundtracks with the liner notes growing up. So it's like 12 CDs from the original trilogy. And I would listen to them all the time. And there are certain John Williams cues like right here. You just Rogue Two. Oh no! Oh, not Rogue One. <laughs> oh, he's still Captain Solo, Commander Skywalker. They'll both be generals. Green screens or blue screens still? Then I guess already looking way better. All right, I'm gonna try and put this to full screen. I hope this doesn't crash the system. Let's see how this goes. So, my I, I have only two qualms with this movie. I, I, not they're not qualms, but just questions that aren't answered by the people who say this movie's like perfect genius, whatever. Blah blah blah. Here's the the back to tank is great. What an amazing image! Oh my god, so much science fiction born from this trilogy is uh, the Hoth battle looks very two-dimensional to me. Although, after seeing Rogue One, you see the influences. Um, and I hate the team being split up, but they come together sort of in the end, which is great. 
Oh, here we go. Here it is. Here it is, people. This is it. This is the beginning of the p- potential incest. This is the beginning of Leia straight up trying to make him jealous. She never has a bad line delivery. She never has a spectacular line delivery, does Carrie Fisher, like Han Solo. But that's 10% from Han Solo. Carrie Fisher's 100% great all the time. Here we go. Laugh it up, fuzzball. I mean, I know every line, as you guys do. You didn't see some South Passage? She... <laughs> Her true feelings for me. You stuck up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder. <laughs> yep. The solo movie tried to make a lot of nerf herder type jokes, but up oh, here we go. <laughs> and see, this is the thing. This is forget about the brother sister kissing thing. Okay, we have no idea what this is supposed to mean. God, I hope he doesn't have a heart on right now. Um. And the thing is, Han isn't actually mad at Luke whatsoever. He, he's, he is jealous as hell, but he's just mad at Leia. But Leia doing that, forget that it's her brother in the future, it, it just exposes her vulnerability to him, and he knows it. I mean, when you go, with great, when you go through great crisis with someone who you're attracted to, it's going to escalate, you know? I, I always look at the movie Speed with Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock, both in their early years. You know, Dennis Hopper as the bad guy, the bus that can't go below 55 miles an hour. But because of Sandra Bullock, even with Keanu Reeves' coldness, because Sandra Bullock actually pulls off a convincing, kind of hot, simmering romance because of danger in that movie. But that totally comes from Han Leia. And I, you know, the fact that I always refer to that sort of dynamic as Han Leia, it just proves the point. Now to me, a new hope changed the world. The empire strikes back was a bold artistic vision. Return of the Jedi was just a super fun and exciting conclusion. But the only movie from a purely filmic standpoint that can compete with Rogue One, I think as a film, not as a Star Wars film, but just as a film, is this movie. Even though, I basically Return of the Jedi, Empire, and Rogue One all at the top, but I think Rogue One and Empire are the best, but Return of the Jedi just has a special place in my heart. And the highest moments of Return of the Jedi are higher. And even here with the TIE Fighters and the Super Star Destroyers looking great, they really take a huge step forward in Return of the Jedi. I think that's part of it, too. Was Return of the Jedi was the first really, 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 really modern action movie. So, you know, there's been some literature filled in between the the year or two between a new hope and here um but according to the comic books which are canon the recent comic books vader and skywalker confronted each other and maybe with solo and, and leia as well but definitely vader and uh, luke confront each other 
uh, in between these movies. And that's when Vader sensed for the first time that Luke was his son. So that's actually a comment that explains something pretty, pretty basic. I think they didn't put in enough. Uh, it's interesting to to say this with modern music production values, but they almost didn't put enough uh, distortion on New Vader and Rogue One. James Earl Jones almost sounded a little too live. I think was maybe the problem. I mean, it's not a problem. Here we go. <laughs> I mean, the the Falcon has some small issues in the first movie, but this is where it takes on a life of its own as the best ship in the galaxy when it's working, which is not usually. <coughs> the medical droid. Asimov's three laws of robotics, looking after the humans. We see with L3 trying to free them as slaves. Aw, Chewie. And now you think, I mean, this is what's great about Star Wars, guys, is all these years later, you think of when Rey is trying to reach Luke. She first gets on on, um, Octo, and he won't listen to her. And so Chewie breaks the door and starts screaming at Luke. And Luke's just like, Chewie, what are you doing here? And then realizes that Hans is dead. Yep, Luke, not bitter at all. So the question is, to what degree does Han Solo either consciously or subconsciously manipulate the coming situation to make sure Leia ends up on his ship and to make sure he remains in the cause? Because if you look at how it's presented on screen, it's totally happenstance and just a story device. But if you look at it in the grand scope of Han Solo through these movies, through the new movies, through Solo, a Star Wars story, through the comic books and the books and so forth it would seem more likely that he found a way to get lay on his ship and to protect her or think he could protect her. That's the irony of course, as Leia is always protecting him and not vice versa. Admiral Ozel. Interesting. Mm hmm. Vader is cruel at times in the first movie, but here's where he starts being really just, Nasty. Oh, is he going to strangle this guy? Here it goes. So, Simi points out that the, the, the connection that Snoke is able to kind of uh, surreptitiously create between Rey and Kylo and The Last Jedi is sort of related to this cross, you know, galactic uh, power. The fact that he can strangle him. He's not strangling him over the hologram. He's strangling him over, you know, thousands of light years. Here's Leia giving the speech again, which only makes it confusing that Mon Mothma is giving the speech in the, in the last one. But I think that's just because Leia's on the mission, which is actually protocol. Military is bizarre protocol. If you guys watch, you know, the Hurt Locker, obviously, or Megan Levy with with Kate Mara, the people in charge of disarming the bombs are the ones in charge. You would never think that, but that's how it works. They're the ones in charge as long as they're alive. Or in Kate Mara's case, with her and her dog, bomb sniffing dog, they're in charge. Okay, so 
this is where both Gareth Edwards extensively in Rogue One, but definitely Ryan Johnson in the final battle in the with the trenches in um, the Last Jedi on uh, what's that planet called? I can't remember. In uh, the trenches, definitely mirrors this. The problem is Rogue One's the only movie that's managed to actually look like these movies. Oh, they disabled, they already disabled the Star Destroyer. It's pretty easy to see in Rogue One, they follow the rules of the video games, which is you got to take out at least one of the two big balls, which are the shield deflectors, and then you can hit it with uh, ion torpedoes to disable it. And then that's what allows the uh, the hammerhead Corvette maneuver. Oh, we know this guy is going to die. He's got red shirt written all over him. Yep. Luke just smiles and nods. In the newer uh, Star Wars, you know, we might be get like, oh, Luke has a sense that this guy's going to die, but he doesn't know. This is great. It's so scary through these, you know, old school screens. Even though these were new school then, now they look old school, but still futuristic. I don't know how Lucas did this. He's so inspired. The thing was, that's why he handed this off to Kirshner, Irvin Kirshner to direct and Lawrence Kasdan to write, to concentrate on all these little details. And that's what he always should have done. He should not have directed the prequels. He, I, I think he must know it. All right, I'm going to watch my computer because these guys already look herky-jerky. Echo Station 57. All right, so they're in the trenches. Right, so we get head up on here. I mean, to be fair, The Force Awakens didn't do a whole lot more than these kind of shots, but... I don't know what they're shooting at. Oh, yeah, it looks pretty good. Looks pretty good. I always actually thought the uh, AT-ATs, the Adats here, the, the four-legged walkers, always looked better than the two-legged walkers in Jedi for some reason. They always look a little herky-jerky. These guys look really smooth. It's an interesting setup on these land speeders to have people facing both ways. I guess that's to simulate having you know guns on both sides. So Luke's the pilot and the forward gunner, and the other guy's the backwards gunner. He's going to get hit. It's interesting to think whether Lucas cast, you know, total red shirts to play red shirts because he he was worried about ever overshadowing his wonderful but somewhat inexperienced lead cast. Yeah, I mean, to me, to me, again... Not this is not to insult you guys. This looks great. I love General Veers. You know he's a big hit. The adats are awesome. We've seen them again and again now. Boom! The explosions look amazing as as always. The Vader hologram is great. Veers is confident. You know this guy actually knows what he's doing. A fucking Nazi general genius. Um, but Hoth is never the reason I come back to this movie. So the fact that some people think Hoth is like the most exciting battle in the original trilogy, which I don't agree with whatsoever, but you know, that's cool. That's just frosting on the cake, baby. Buckle up, baby. 
I have a really good feeling about this. I love, I really, you know what? The more I see Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo, I've seen him three times and I just saw the third time today after a break. The more I see Alden Ehrenreich as, as young Solo, the more I like him. I honestly do. I think that's why Harrison Ford ultimately embraced him. Harrison Ford didn't care if this movie made buddy or got good reviews. He was like, this kid knows what he's doing. There's Wedge, baby. Yeah, Wedge. Woo! I always love this. Just fall flat on its face. Got the rebel beards. I mean, beards were in at this time, and so that's part of why they did it. And then they wanted to make the distinction with the Imperials being clean-shaven. But it totally works now. I mean, our society, if you meet someone with a giant beard and you meet someone who's completely clean-cut, you know, it will immediately give you an impression of that person, even if it's correct or incorrect. I like he's using a real screwdriver. I mean, in light of what happens later in this movie, and then Return of the Jedi, and in light of Solo, a Star Wars story, written again by the guy who wrote this movie, Lawrence Kasdan, and so it's it's more than canon, it's, it's what he wanted Han to be. Han being kind of temperamental and frustrated is kind of based on his frustration around Leia. Once she starts loosening up and he starts loosening up and they start being more real with each other as the movie goes on, even as the situation gets worse, they actually get more comfortable. Okay, right. There's the chicken walker, the the ATST, which definitely looks more herky-jerky. Gets a little bit better in the next movie. I don't know what it is about the four-legged adats. Sorry, I'm totally nerding out. Yeah. And they always have old guys and chubby guys and stuff and that, you know, it, it... it's pilots because they're the rebellion. That's all they got. Oh, he's got blood on his face. Oh man. It's hard to comment on this scene because this was much harder to pull off than from a technical standpoint, from what I understand, than the trench run and the original star Wars. But to me, the original star Wars trench run a new hope is far more thrilling than this entire thing. Um, of the three major fighting action pieces, End of New Hope, this, and End of Jedi, this is clearly the weakest. Um, now, it's made great coming up here with Luke doing some lightsaber mixed with like Uncharted stuff, blowing up, you know. Yeah. It shows its age. But this does not... These practical sets, I mean, this looks more real and is more real, what they're throwing on all these actors, than what we see in a lot of practical sets these days. And for me, the the unsung hero of Hoth is the base. All of the stuff in the base with Han and Leia and C-3PO and so forth and Luke is the best because they made this ginormous base, probably in London or outside of London, and it looks great. Leia's not leaving, taking no prisoners. God damn it, Princess Leia. As I've said many times, and I'll continue to say it, between my mother and Princess Leia, I never grew up thinking that women couldn't be as awesome or more awesome than guys. Honestly, it's it's never been a question in my mind. And so it, it I understand why much of the country still doesn't feel this way, or, or, or I understand the reasons behind it, but it's hard for me to sympathize with it. Women are so clearly suited to leadership and positions in particular, as well as military uh, positions. Oh, you guys got to see Megan Levy, man, with Kate Mara, her bomb-sniffing dog. Okay, here we go. Sorry, I'll shut up, but Kate Mara, my other girlfriend, of my many girlfriends, including Amelia Clark, 
and Felicity Jones and Scarlett Johansson and Zoe Saldana, Elizabeth Olsen. I got a lot. Got a lot of celebrity girlfriends. All right. Sorry. <laughs> I love this. It's a total fireworks show, and this thing just falls the fuck over. Look at this. Ooh. Boom. So, I absolutely love just the brutal Nazi-esque efficiency with which the Empire takes them down. It was important if with two more movies, the beginning of this one, because Empire and Jedi are really a two-parter, it was important for them to take down the Rebels pretty hard and the Rebels just to escape. Which is pretty much what happens in Rogue One, where they just want to get the plans and then get out of there. But here it is again after their first major victory with the Death Star. So fake snow is really hard to do. Uh, It looks more real in recent years, like in Fellowship of the Ring, but it's like made of this horrible like silicone material. Uh, It's just gets in your nose and throat and it's really unhealthy for you. Um, But this looks extremely convincing. Okay, these guys are straight up look like KKK mixed with, you know, Nazi death troopers. I mean, Lucas isn't even trying to hide it. And for people out there who think Lucas is not political, then you need to watch these movies and, uh, you know, look at Lucas's quotes. Oh, they pulled in C-3PO. That was was, was so ultimately revolutionary about uh, K-2SO. You know, now L3 and, you know, they're doing it a lot. But K-2SO was the first droid that was, like, very much in charge uh, with Cassian, you know, it was never a question of K2 getting left behind and them having to pull him in. Like, he was always pulling them in. <laughs> Here's the... Rup, 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 rup. I, I bypassed the compressor. God, I wish I had Brick Girl on this. Not because she would know what the fuck she's talking about because her Daisy Ridley is just spectacular. Yeah, I mean, the entire mythos of the Falcon and Han and Leia, I mean, it, it all comes from this movie. It's not from the first movie. It's clearly from this movie. It's funny to think that there was mixed reviews in the press and fans when this came out. Just like Last Jedi, just like Solo. What's interesting about Rogue One, actually, is while it didn't get as great press reviews as Force Awakens, it was the second... Star Wars movie in a year and got a great reception from the fans overall. And then it went downhill with the last Jedi, but there are political reasons for that. See, the thing was in the seventies and eighties, you know, people say he was tapping into Reagan, you know, anti Reaganist, whatever, but that could only be possible filming wise with return of the Jedi. Everything else was filmed during the Carter administration. So then it was, this was seen as we are the rebels, we Americans and you know, the USSR slash the Nazis are, you know, the bad guys. Now it, it, it's much more pointing towards our own selves given our situation. And that makes people uncomfortable. I have to assume he informed other people that he was just ditching the fleet for this little side mission. So, okay, my screen's still acting a little funky. Let me put a full screen. Um, 
this is a this is a movie of moments and so and i think that rogue one is like this as well i love movies of moments movies where some scenes i just kind of you know follow and other moments i'm really into um there's actually quite a bit of sloppiness in certain parts of this movie but it's so overwhelmed by the great moments I mean, they're just all bouncing around this, you know, on the soundstage here. So the the the, the only problem with with Solo is that while the early scenes on Corellia and then his missions with Woody Harrelson and company are really fun and great world building and character building, it's not until he meets Lando and they actually go on the famed, fabled Kessel Run that it gets really, really good. And by the time Han's flying the ship at the end with Chioe, it's just off the charts. And then there's a whole rebellion postscript. Oh, the motivator. So Simi and I talked extensive, not extensively, but Simi and I talked a little bit in the New Hope commentary about how, while there is a timelessness to a New Hope, it definitely feels like a 70s movie, whereas these movies, while definitely product of their time and limitations of their time, feel a little bit more timeless in terms of look and feel. And you can already tell with the cinematic camera going all over the place. I mean, Irvin Kirshner, I don't know what... <laughs> It's great because here he's yelling at Chewie, but by the time we get to Force Awakens, he's threatening to like sick Chewie on Ray and Finn and so forth. I mean, I'll say it, guys. I, I've said it before. My favorite Harrison Ford Han Solo performance is The Force Awakens because he's, whether he put his whole effort into it or not is immaterial. It seems like he's putting a thousand percent with his relationship with Ray and Finn and BB-8 and so forth and Maz and Leia, and Ben, I mean, yeah, Harrison Ford just, he wanted to die in Return of the Jedi, which maybe we'll get back to in this podcast, or the Return of the Jedi one. Here's the asteroid music, which we hear in the new Solo movie when they're in a similar situation. It's great. Oh, look at those explosions. Boom. But I feel like after all the years of sitting on it, Harrison Ford almost didn't want to come back. But then he came back with Force Awakens and owned the movie with Ray. I mean, I love Finn and BB-8 and Poe and everyone else, but ultimately Ray and Han are what make Force Awakens special to me. For me, with with Kylo, which is the you know the third part, and then of course in Last Jedi it's Kylo, Ray, and Luke. So. Yeah, people are still really with Finn and Poe. It'll be interesting to see if there is criticism. I mean, Kelly Marie Tran is getting extremely unfairly criticized for no reason, in my opinion. She did deliver impossible material in the movie, and she happens to be Asian. Oh, God. Oh, God, help us. She's Asian. But Poe and Finn have not reached full potential, which I attribute fully to writing. I think what was so successful in the original trilogy is, you know, as classic and amazing as A New Hope is, we are already fully into these characters. Luke is going to be a Jedi. These guys are going to be on crazy missions together in the Falcon. Look how good this looks. I mean, even in like Guardians movies, Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor, it doesn't always look this real. The, look, look at the, the 
I mean, they definitely created a little tunnel there physically with like little fibers and stuff. You can't just do that with computers. I don't know why they won't just do it with real practical models and then throw CGI spaceships in there. Oh, well. Here we go. On Dagobah. This is the best stuff. This is the thing. If you like Cotton the Scoundrel, this is the movie for you. If you like Leia, the princess who's super strong but also sensitive and has conflicted feelings, this is the movie for you. If you like Luke learning how to be a Jedi and Yoda and R2, crazy hijinks, this is the movie for you. Always flipping switches. You know, we've heard that that's a a major thing they pioneered in these movies with the Falcon and the other ships is just constantly flipping switches to keep activity in the cockpit. That was a smooth landing. (laughs) I remember there's a crash landing sequence at the end of Battlestar Galactica season one um, that's pretty momentous um, and epic. I remember seeing on TV, knowing it was a green screen. That was the first time I'd ever seen on like a low budget, a crash landing space sequence that looked that good. It's probably like 2004, 2005, Battlestar season one. I mean, the cra- the crash landing of the capital ship in uh, Revenge of the Sith was great, but that was on like a $200 million budget. All right, so here we go. So I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm going to be totally honest because it's what the bill cast is all about. And I'm flying solo here like Luke, but I don't have an R2. Oh, there goes R2. Um, I am deathly afraid of snakes, but I'm actually way better now than I used to be. Now I'm very afraid of snakes in nature on screen. As long as they're not used as giant jump scares, you know, of like Python snapping at the screen or Viper snapping at the screen, the kind of thing. They're just slithering in the background even if they're kind of ugly snakes, I could actually kind of deal with it. And I have no problem with this movie because none of the snakes ever attack them. They're just there. And they, this was a Steven Spielberg thing or a Lucas thing, I think, of like making the actors uncomfortable with snakes. And, and I don't think Mark Hamill knew all these snakes were going to come up. Oh, there's a sea beast, just like in the, uh, the waters of Mor- outside of Moria. I mean, the action per moment of this movie is way lower than the other two. And the fact that both Star Wars fans and casual fans think this is the best actually speaks pretty highly of the American viewing audience, to be honest with you. At least at the time. 1980, this was exactly what people needed to say. I mean, in 77, during the oil crisis and everything else, and after Watergate, it was definitely what they needed to see. Look how real R2 is here. Mm-hmm. This is the thing. You watch the original movies, and what's so apparent is how clearly fake the special effects are and how unbelievably tactile the practical effects are. And Mark Hamill talks lovingly and jokingly about spending months shooting on this location with a guy, a tiny guy in a robot suit and a puppet Yoda with Frank Oz. That was it. That was his, that was his crew. (laughs) So this guy gets promoted. I think ultimately I always forget. 
I believe this guy gets promoted and is the what the Grand Admirals. And oh, here we go. We see Vader. Yes. Ah. Oh. And this is the perfect trilogy. It's the perfect trilogy. Each movie has something the others do not offer. Listen to that voice. I want that ship, not excuses. Yes, Lord. It's because this guy isn't totally incompetent, and he's also not totally scared that Vader keeps him around. I think Vader, when he senses fear, he senses weakness, and that's when he kills him. If you can project like General Veers on the surface with the uh, walkers, you project strength and confidence, Vader will give you a shot. Uh, I was asked, I think by Jenny Geek Girl, uh, would, would you, if you, if you failed a mission, would you rather face Kylo Ren or Darth Vader? And I said, I'd rather face Darth Vader because they'll probably both kill me, but Vader would kill me immediately and Vader would actually listen to me and maybe give me a second chance. It's like a tiny chance. Whereas Kylo Ren would just toy with me, torture me and, you know, Whoop. there's definitely a boob grab in Return of the Jedi. I don't know if he grabs it. Grab the boob here. Don't get excited. Look at her. I mean, she is... Oh. I think... I think Harrison Ford drove her crazy. I mean, I know she he did because it's the last book she ever wrote about how he drove her crazy. And while they weren't flinging at this point, you can just see it. I mean, you, it's so real. That's what's so, uh, among many things, what's so impressive of the physical and sexual chemistry that Felicity Jones and Diego Luna are able to sell with each other in a short time in Rogue One as Jin and Cassian is that, you know, they're, they're totally platonic buddies in real life. Here, they're playing on their real life feelings to a certain extent. I have to believe it's just too real in knowing the story. So this is a giant set, you know? I mean, I, again, I don't know the full story. If you guys are watching this with me, you might, you might not. You can look it up, where they built this, how they built this. It might be in, 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 in um, outside of London, where everything else is. Now, you know, the Lord of the Rings took this exact same model uh, visually and turned this into the Forest of Fangorn, uh, where they were creating giant trees for miles, it seemed like. Here we go. Okay. Sorry, guys. I'm turning the volume up. I'm wondering. Yoda is arguably what saved The Last Jedi for some people, I think, in terms of his saving Luke. But there's a direct line from here, and I've missed you, young Master Skywalker. He, Luke never quite learns the lessons. He does beat Vader for the right reasons, but not necessarily with the right approach, and he just never learns. And I think this this image of Zen Master Luke is a fallacy. The same way we learn, you know, one of the few things that I think was really profound, <laughs> I love him eating the food, one of the things that was truly profound in the uh, the prequels that was so uncomfortable and I hated it at the time, but appreciate more now, is Lucas saying, the Jedi Order is corrupt, these guys are assholes, these guys are actually full of shit, they've lost their way, and so when we see Zen Master Luke at the beginning of Return of the Jedi, in the end, 
it's a bit of an illusion. The least the last Jedi makes us, you know, think for sure that, that that's the case. I have no idea how they did this puppetry with Frank Oz. It's just spectacular. And the fact that they had a giant like puppet worm in the new solo movie as the uh, evil like alien gangster boss at the beginning was awesome. So this is all a test of Luke. Um, I mean, Yoda's not long to live, so it's not hard for him to draw from experience here. He's he's got some screws loose, no doubt, compared to the prequel era. One thousand years, hmm? little fella. I mean, for people who don't think we should add naturalistic language to Star Wars, he's just a little fella. Oh, oh look at the ears. There's something like six people working on his puppet at once at certain points i believe there's dozens of of touch points as they call them so they say you know he's too old and then anakin's too old who's much younger in the clone wars I think ultimately Lucas had the right idea with with Anakin and the and uh, and the prequels. It just wasn't. He tried to create someone who was both a hero and a villain, and he ended up feeling like neither. And it's not Hayden Christensen's fault. And the fact that Vader's such a genocidal killer, but he saves Luke and kills the Emperor in the last moment, and we're like, "Oh, Vader's redeemed." I think we need to question ourselves on this stuff, guys. Just like with Kylo Ren, all the Raylo shippers. You know, I, it's cool that you want Adam Driver and Daisy Ridley to get together, but he's a genocidal killer. So even if he apologized and said, "I want to join the good guys," what'd you do with him? <laughs> he actually takes C-3PO's advice for once. Is that the only time they ever like directly take C-3PO's advice? Oh, here's Leia doing everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I've said this at nauseam. She's a political leader. She's a military leader. She's a diplomatic leader. She's a moral leader. She's a spiritual leader. She, she's a political leader. She's a fighter. She's a mechanic. Your worship. <laughs> You make it so difficult sometimes. I do. I really do. I mean, the thing is, this is this is borderline naturalistic acting by today's standard in giant blockbuster movies. Like, I'm not sure Chris Pratt and... Uh, <laughs> I mean, Chris Pratt and uh, Zoe Saldana don't have nearly this good chemistry in Guardians of the Galaxy, and I love those too. Yeah. So how is this informed by Kira? I'm not trembling, she says. Uh, here we go. Right, you like me because I'm a scoundrel, which he's not. She likes him because he's a good guy who's posing as a scoundrel, as we learn with Kira in the solo movie. It completes it completely. <laughs> you might not recognize me with my red arm. Yep, and that's exactly what girls do in that situation. They're like, let me get out of here. Boom. Sorry if it's loud, guys. This is brilliant, though. The fact that Vader's steering them straight into the asteroid field to get these guys. So here's the question. 
What is he really after? I think he's after Leia. I'm, he tortures Han. I'm not sure why he cares so much about Han. I think he's after Leia. I have to think so. Which is why he lies to Lando about wanting Han, because that wasn't really what he wanted. Oh, no, he wants to trap them for Luke. That's right, obviously. Duh. That's what's brilliant about this movie. I forget that every time. I'm always like, why is he obsessed with them? Oh, yeah, he wants to get to Luke. Here we go. Here we go. So this was not Ian McDermott in the original, and they've replaced it, which they had to. This was the one indispensable replacement was getting Ian McDermott here as the Emperor. The young rebel who destroyed the Death Star. Oh! I always forget it's the Emperor who kind of figures it out. I thought Vader had figured it out. This is just like Snoke. I mean, this is the problem with Snoke, and Snoke ends up just being a version of this. So one of the greatest tricks the devil ever pulled was making Ian McDermott look older in 1980 and 1983 than in 2005. Actually, even today. I think I like, honestly, watching this now, I like better that Snoke asks Ren, Kylo Ren, there's been an awakening, have you felt it, meaning the girl, meaning Rey, and he says yes, He's our, we already know that he sensed it. I, I like that better, and it sets up, but it also matches a better, you know, Vader never expects to call the Emperor till the very, very end of the trilogy, whereas Kylo is sort of thinking about it throughout The Last Jedi, um, which is what makes it, the, the death of Snoke is more interesting than the death of Palpatine uh, on its own. Because of that fact. Luke's just shoving his face with food. <laughs> the Justin Bieber haircut. Mark Hamill is... N- no matter how cheesy the lines of delivery from Mark Hamill, it's never grating, annoying, or cringeworthy. There's something just so indispensably and irreplaceably appealing about Mark Hamill. I mean, look at him. He's so comfortable. Yep. I always say uh, Leia comes into her own in the first movie, Han in the second, and Luke in the third. But you can already see it with Luke here, obviously, you know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, ultimately Luke and uh, Leia, I'm sorry, Leia and Han. Oh, here it comes. Leia and Han spend way more time together than with Luke. Much anger in him. Like his father. We see again the prequels. Right. They say, was I any different when you taught me? But then we learn they're younglings and they get taken at a young age. It's, it's like Sagara. Are you Sagara? Sagara? Mm hmm. Ray's motivation to be a Jedi is sold so much better than this because, in The Last Jedi, because. For Ray, it's a feeling in the back of her mind 
you know, like they say in the matrix, like a splinter in your mind that she can't get rid of and she needs help like therapy, which is real <laughs> to real life. We all need therapy of various kinds, whether we see therapists or not, it can be spiritual leaders. They can be yoga teachers, whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, in the in the grand scro- scope of the Star Wars trilogy or Star Wars series, Yoda should be wanting to recruit this guy immediately. Although I guess he's afraid of making another Vader. But the fact that Obi Wan, who was sort of responsible for creating the Vader, although arguably, actually, this actually works with the prequels, Yoda being the leader of the Council um, and bossing around Anakin was actually yeah more responsible in some ways than obi-wan it's interesting it's really interesting i'm not afraid oh here it comes you will be that's that's filmmaking a puppet no camera movement right up on the puppet's face you will be you will be that's filmmaking people boom so there's tie bombers we see the tie bombers dropping the bombs Unclear how the bombs know to go straight down in zero gravity. We just have to assume. Look at Leia. What's what's, what's great about Leia, the only moment she ever gets scared in the entire trilogy, or all the movies, is right here. Because of these, like, baddie, ratty things, the Minox that start coming on. Yeah, there it is. She screams, you know, she screams like you would think a young girl would scream. But that's it. Hordes of stormtroopers don't scare her as much of the as this, you know. You know, it's like if the if the woman if the president were a woman, but she was scared of mice and jumped up on the president's chair when the mice are running around. Thing is, guys are just as scared of these things, but we have to act like we're not to impress the women. I mean spiders not nearly as scary to me as snakes but i see a giant spider it still makes me want to jump on a chair all right so again on the set i'm you know i'm sure i'd like to say this is underreported i'm sure they talk about in the production of this that that hoth and then parts of cloud city were so expensive they had to do a lot of the middle parts in um in sets This is one of those slow burns that that always works, no matter how many times you see it. You're going, they're inside a creature, they're inside a creature, they're inside a creature, they're inside a sandworm. I mean, look, guys, I'm just going to say it. I still think Return of the Jedi is is the cleanest of the movies in terms of narrative te- story t- and visual storytelling. So they're just shaking the camera. You could tell they're not shaking the ship.
mean, they really throw actors around now. There was a shot um, that Woody Harrelson did himself um, in the new Han Solo movie. Woody in general was great in the new Solo movie, but during the Kessel run, it wasn't totally clear what he was doing at certain times. Oh, there it is, the sandworm. Um, and But there was a part where he had to inject the fuel that they were smuggling, a piece of it, into their fuel line to give them extra boost. And he's running around the hallway, and the ship you know, careens, and he gets thrown down around the curve of a hallway, and he just throws himself and falls. Woody Harrelson, I mean, he's got to be in his 50s at least. Here's Luke training. This is, of course along with before the the pre-rogue one initial death star made no sense how they knew where to blow it up and why that blew up now we know why this makes no sense that he gets you know totally trained up as a jedi and what can't be more than a week or two unless as i've been saying there are vergences of the force that are not just of space but of time and we know dagobah is one of the most force strong planets in the galaxy, which is part of why Yoda is here recovering and hiding. And so it's possible he's creating a time warp within here, which I think I've always kind of believed implicitly was what was going on. But the more I think about it, it's really only I can explain it. He's managed to slow down time here, and that's slowing his decay so he doesn't die, and it allows Luke to get all this training in. Yep. Defense never for attack. Right. We learn Yoda's a big hypocrite on this when they join the Clone Wars and the prequels. So, the, you know, the bulk of the Force talk is the is New Hope in this movie. Return of the Jedi, we see it in action. We don't see it done so much. Um... Oh, Yoda knows what's going on here. This is great. It's like Ray's vision and and Ray going down into the hole. But Yoda lets this happen. Um. Yeah, and this was great. It's it's not just like an all good force planet. There are pockets of dark side going on. And that's why I think the time stuff could be going on as well. It has a timeless feel to it. This feels like Rivendell, right? In Lord of the Rings. I mean, if you just had leaves falling, it would feel like Rivendell. Mm-hmm. Yep. He still hasn't learned his lesson. Thinks he needs to be armed to win. This is the great lesson of the original trilogy as brought into The Last Jedi by Ryan Johnson. is so unappreciated. There's a giant snake. So unappreciated by people is Luke is constantly thinking he's going to be a Jedi and he's going to fight and he's going to force choke people and he's going to lightsaber people. But in the end, what wins is him throwing down the lightsaber and returning to the Jedi. And I don't understand why certain, you know, supposed hardcore fans of the original trilogy swear by them, hate everything else, but don't realize that simple lesson that informs everything else that's come since. Which is, you know, ultimately, it's a pacifistic message. There's another giant snake. Now, those are boa constrictors, so those aren't going to bite you. There's another snake. There's like, well, what are those called? Yeah. Yeah, this is why I couldn't watch it as a kid. I honestly, that's how scared I was of snakes. I had a very traumatizing experience. Not like it attacked me, but I just. 
was in a room, a small room with a snake as a small child, and it scared the shit out of me. It took me a while to recover. I'm still recovering. Here comes the slow motion. We see something similar with Ray's vision and Kylo. So in retrospect, right, he cuts his head off, I think, right? And then it's his face. In retrospect, you're like, okay, it's obviously saying that you're dead. So this is old school slow motion where you would just slow down the reel of the film. These days they would film this in 120 frames per second or something. There it goes. Boom. Cut his head off. Decapitation. 1980. PG movie. You're welcome, America. Oh my God, that looks like Ray. Oh my God, that looks like Ray. Holy shit. Oh my God, that looked like Ray. I mean, I know that was Luke, but that looked just like Ray. All right. Oh man, the Superstar Destroyer with the red engines looking amazing. Yep. I've talked about ling- uh, you know the the uh this the Klimo principle uh oh, there's Bosk uh tribute to Simi. The Klimo principle is to make a great movie, you need a good cast, a good script, but mostly when you set up your shots to know what shots to linger on longer and which shots to not linger on too long. And that's something they do amazingly in this movie. Okay, there's Boba Fett. I'm not going to get started. Whatever. If you guys love Boba Fett, love him. Love the thing you love. So they got a Star Destroyer shooting at them head on. He's just steering straight. Come on, use some ninja skills here, Han. Side to side. Zigzag. <laughs> Ugh. It's it's not fair. <laughs> Leia just is Leia's not even angry. She's just resigned. That's <laughs> oh, so good. So right, so he ends up hiding in the trash and then going at sub light speed all the way to Lando's? The Lando system. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't make a Lando system reference in the, in the solo movie. Biggest problem with solo movie, too much fan service. I love it. I could care less, honestly, but it was gratuitous. Lucas never had time to do fan service because he was just constantly creating, but the prequels started it and the new movies continue it to a certain degree. The thing is, J.J. Abrams mastered the timing of the Han Solo things going wrong in the Millennium Falcon with people around thing so well that it's, I don't know. I mean, for all the problems with Force Awakens, Steven Spielberg claims he saw it four times in the theater. Steven, which is probably what I saw, maybe a couple more times. Oh, here we go. Famous shot. Buff Mark Hamill. God bless Mark Hamill. Between Harrison Ford and, Car- and Carrie Fisher and him, he ended up with a pretty normal life, with a pretty normal family, 
Then he jokes about, yep, there's the the stone. Reference, of course, by Ray raising stones, being told not to worry about raising stones, and then having to raise stones at the end of the Last Jedi, mirroring, mirroring, mirroring. I'm always complimenting mirroring in these movies. You have to do it. It's what connects it, guys. That's the connective tissue. I mean, of all the criticisms of the Matrix sequels, to say it mirrored the original too much is insane. That looks like a, a painting. You know, they used to use tons of matte paintings back in the day. They still do, by the way. Like, um, Rivendell, the far shot of the entire city of Rivendell with the leaves falling and Fellowship of the Ring and so forth, uh, and Lord of the Rings. And there's a there's a moving waterfall and there's people moving, but in the background, the, the background image of the landscape, if you will, of Rivendell is... He has such a force glow around him, sorry. I'm sorry, I was going to say it was the map painting in, in, in Lord of the Rings. He has such a force glow around him. I totally, totally forgot that. Because what's interesting is they actually did an understated force ghost image of him in Last Jedi, where he actually looked like he was there. I mean, he looked like he was as there as he is here. It makes one wonder. Right, Luke's 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 trying to pull at it instead of feeling the force. This is the whole key. And by the way, I, I I've mentioned a couple times in various Rogue One podcasts that I think what makes Chirrut Inway such a great character is not just that he's in touch with the force, but he's not a Jedi, but he can feel it and use it to his advantage to save other people and himself. But that he's actually wiser to the Force than a lot of famous Jedi that we know, including Luke. Now, Chirrut's much older than this guy, but Chirrut at 50 is much wiser than Luke at 50. Look at that shot, right up on Luke's face. Cover boy. He was on magazines. He was selling books. I mean, he still is. Luke Skywalker? God damn it, why isn't Brittany here? Luke Skywalker? Here it is. It surrounds us. Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. Oh, you must feel the force around you. Yeah, luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. Probably the most wise philosophical line ever uttered in anything resembling a mainstream or blockbuster movie. Luminous beings are we, and not this crude matter. After that whole force speech, mm-hmm. you want the impossible. This, of course, is mirrored when Chirrut's pl- uh, praying for the door to open, and Baze is making fun of them in Rogue One when they're trapped at Sagarera's. And Chirrut says, basically, he mocks me because he knows that it's possible. And that's exactly what's happening here. Chirrut is unable to raise the gate in that situation, but. He is ultimately able to save the universe with his his force sensitivity. I mean, throwing mud, you know, on a practical droid is exactly what you need to do. Okay, here's my only problem. Only problem here. 
Okay, first of all, the thing I love is him playing the loom of the universe, as I've described in a previous commentary I never released. It's like he's playing a loom or a harp. He's playing the strings, you know, like string theory, like the strings of the universe. Look at him. He's like, he's playing the music of the universe. He does make it look pretty easy, but this should be nothing for Yoda. I think this is easy, easier for him than it looks. And he, he's demonstrating to Luke. Because if you like looked at Luke like, watch this, dude, buh, 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 it wouldn't really teach him a good lesson. Listen to that music. I mean, just there's almost no time with no music in the original Star Wars. One thing I did like about both Rogue One and Last Jedi was periods of silence. I will say, I think the soundtrack is getting better with each movie. Some people didn't like the Rogue One's opening score, but the score in general is amazing. Last Jedi was awesome from John Williams, but the new score, I don't have in front of me, from the Solo movie was, was also really good. That is why you fail. Yep. Yep. That's it. I mean, we get the Kenobi lessons in the first, in, in episode four. We get all the Yoda lessons here. And how Levator's killing someone else. There he goes. Um, and then Last Jedi in episode eight. I mean, that's really it. Everything else is just hearsay. Even in the prequels. I mean, for all the midichlorian talk, there wasn't actually a lot of philosophical dialogue in the prequels other than the force is shrouded, blah, blah, blah. The Falcon, the Falcon, Han, Han. Yeah. He keeps threatening this guy not to fail him, but he ends up only dying with the suicide bobber from the A-Wang and and Return of the Jedi. He's the closest thing to Director Krennic that we have. Um, Someone who's not Tarkin, who's not Vader, who's not the Emperor, who's like an Admiral, you know, rank-ish, who survives through multiple movies and is ultimately undone by their own creations. Look at the calm way that Harrison Ford is just pointing around the cockpit and everyone's just chilling. It's so underrated the extent to which just them being calm here and acting normal sells it. They literally turn off C-3PO. By the way, C-3PO has been with Leia since her birth and will is with her uh will be with her until her death. I don't know how they're going to frame it, but we know he's been with her through Return of the Jedi, through between 6 and 7 into 7 and 8. I mean, she tells him to wipe that look off his face in the last Jedi. Oh man, that movie's good. The Lando system, yeah. Calrissian. They gave an Armenian name to a light-skinned black dude. A scoundrel. You'd like him. Thanks. <laughs> See, they're already bonded here. Leia's not threatened by being close. He's sharing all the information. And this is the thing they do keep, do, you know, look at her. She is just looking right at him. The thing about Carrie Fisher is as messed up as she could be, according to her own admission, she when she gets present in a situation, there was nobody more present than her in that situation. She wants to make people laugh. She wants to make people cry. She wants to make people have an experience. She's 
Oh, she just kissed him on the cheek. Look at him. Oh, you know, I mean, in some ways, it's way more romantic than the makeout session, which was sort of forced and, and awkward. Boba Fett. Boba Fett. God damn it. Sure, why not? I mean, look, if you don't like the new movies because they have plot holes, then you have serious problems because there's so many fucking plot holes in the original movies. George Lucas didn't even care. He was just trying to tell a story about these characters. That's why I don't care about the plot holes in in, uh, Force Awakens. At this point, my only problem with Force Awakens is just the pacing is off in the middle at a couple instances. It feels forced. That's it. But I, I honestly think in their own ways, even though I like them different amounts and I'm still judging them all the time other than Rogue One, which is an A++ forever. Old friends long gone. Sorry, back here. I was going to say, I think all four movies are deserving of the Star Wars name. Anyone who says otherwise doesn't understand the property. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you're listening to this and you're insulted by that, but you don't understand the property if you don't think they're worthy. It doesn't mean they're great or even very good, but they're worthy. Just the fact that Ryan Johnson knew how to use Yoda with crazy old Luke proves that fact. Just the fact that they constantly prove how to use Rey and Kylo proves that fact. It's actually the non-Jedi stuff like Poe and Finn and Rose that they're having problems with. It's not the Jedi stuff. They're nailing the Jedi stuff, which seems like the hardest. And if you want to go back... Okay, here it is. Always emotion in the future. Difficult to see. This is the whole prophecy thing. You can see the motion of the force, but it it's always moving and it's never certain. So here's the question. You know, I assume the question in the first movie that we, uh, and New Hope, I'm sorry, that we revisit over and over again um, about what Kenobi knew when in terms of his visions of the future. So I'm going to turn this up a little bit. It's going to bleed through. I apologize. Because we're coming to Lando and this is going to be great. But we have to ask the same questions about Yoda. When Yoda says you shouldn't go, you should complete your training, is he actually encouraging Luke to go knowing his response? If, if, if Yoda's been around for a thousand years dealing with crazy, you know, Jedi-powered people like Luke, you'd think he would know what he's doing. So, one thing I loved about the solo movie, among many, is while there were actually two card games and not one about winning the Millennium Falcon and their rivalry, they actually were buddies and on the same side for most of it. Lando got pissed at the end because his robot girl died, and he ditched Han, and then Han won the Falcon from him, you know, and so there's some competition here in lack of total trust, which they do set up, but... I, I never thought Lando was going to betray them in the, the Han movie, because otherwise he couldn't betray them here. You know, he would never trust Lando twice. He already doesn't trust him. So a lot of this stuff, I guess, is redone. The Cloud City stuff doesn't really bother me. Yeah, it just looks... The difference is it looks like 90s CGI as opposed to, you know, 70s CGI.
I mean, look, I'm sorry. Harrison Ford's still overacting here a little bit. When he starts getting tortured and having to be forced to underact, it's fantastic. And he channels that through the defreezing and, and process and so forth, the PTSD in Return of the Jedi. I, I really think Han comes into his own in the third movie. I got to flip it. <laughs> After what you pulled. We're still not sure what he pulled. Wow. I'm sort of seeing Donald Glover a little bit more than I thought. Yeah, Leia never trusts Lando. It's great. It's great. Kira always trusted Lando, by the way. And Lando came through for them for the most part. I mean, he ditched them with the Marauders, who ended up being good guys. This loser. Yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I was going to say I appreciate that he appreciates her beauty wearing the military garb, but how can you not? She's so stunning. I mean,. You know, I grew up too young to see Carrie Fisher or Leia as really a sex sex figure. I mean, she was beautiful, obviously, but I just thought she was an awesome badass. To be you know, to be to be perfectly frank, and I've said this off over and again. You know, by the time I was crushing on girls, it was like Jenny McCarthy and Kathy Ireland. It wasn't Princess Leia, you know. So to me, in a weird way. That's that's where the Jin Erso thing comes from. Is that Jin feels like kind of my my Leia, in that I appreciate all the qualities in her that Leia also had, but also appreciate her as a, as a woman, um, which I I don't normally prioritize, by the way, or care about in movies. I talk about crushing on Scarlet and you know Zoe Saldana. I mostly just love those women. Felicity is a special case. As I'm sure you guys know, if you're this far with me in the Empire commentary, you realize my psychosis when it comes to Jyn Erso. It's just because she represents everything I want in a new Star Wars movie, mostly as channeled through an updated version of Princess Leia, essentially. Okay, here it is. So here we go. So is the manipulation happening here? This is the question. He's saying you must complete the training. He knows Luke's having visions. There's no way he can't see into Luke's head and knows what's going on. Right. Mm-hmm. But you're not supposed to control it, Obi-Wan. Yeah. Oh, Yoda is even desperate to, to yield to his Padawan. I've learned so much in the three days I've been here. They're not wrong. They're not wrong. It is a trap for Luke. But what they don't realize is if he doesn't save Han and Leia and company, they're not going to win the wider war. 
which these guys can't say. These guys got engaged in the Clone Wars when they shouldn't have, and now they want to avoid the wider rebellion, and that's what, there's another snake, and that's what they can't say. I definitely got to get the remastered Blu-ray versions. You know, some of this stuff looks a little flat. Yeah, Chewbacca's never mentioned. They've more than made up for that, though, with Chewie in 7 and 8 and then in the solo movie. I mean, look, guys. If you haven't seen the Han Solo movie, all you got to know is Han gets thrown in a pit to left to die with a beast, and that beast happens to be Chewbacca, who's also a prisoner. And he speaks he speaks Wookiee to Chewie and convinces Chewie to get on his side and escape together. That's how they get going. Oh my god, look at that shot on Yoda. It's like uh, some some early 80s horror shit. I'll return, I promise. Yeah, after I get my hand cut off and all sorts of shit. This actually looks pretty good. I mean, the lighting on Yoda always is amazing. It's all about lighting. Look at this. Oh, he says, no, there is another. I always forget that. Yes. So the question is, this is the big question. I've, I've researched this. I've talked to people. Everyone has different answers. Did Lucas know that the other was Leia and then it was his sister? I don't know. It was never going to be Han. They're clearly setting up Leia as the most capable person. Again, yeah, this is all new stuff. The open windows is all new stuff. It just doesn't look that good. This looks great from the inside. I think from the inside, having windows looking out and up and stuff was a great idea to open up the space. Yeah, he's already playing kissy kissy. I got everything under control. He is my friend. Oh my god, look at her. <laughs> it's pretty great that Princess Leia, the original Carrie Fisher, sorry guys, you know I'm a, I'm Jewish and I love support my people. Carrie Fisher Jewish and now the new Hansel Alden Ehrenreich Jewish. Harrison Ford is at least a half Jewish, I believe. Uh Irvin Kirshner's Jewish. Lawrence Kasdan, Jewish. And then some Irish people with Kathleen Kennedy, George Lucas. It's great. By the way, again, continuing the tradition of droid torture and, and torment in, in all the movies. What I like about all this is it never really adds up. C-3PO steps into a place and then he gets blasted and then Chewie finds him. And it's all a diversion. It is the idea, you know. It's like it's sort of like the Last Jedi plot with with Finn and and Poe and and Rose is that it's all a giant red herring for a plot gone horribly wrong. <laughs> Look at Harrison Ford. Refreshment. Yeah, they don't really stress Lando's womanizing too much, other than his droid lady potentially in the in Solo, which I thought was a nice touch. Although at the end, before he sees Han coming back to the the card game rematch, he's definitely flirting with somebody. Look how short she is. She's tiny. She is barely up to Harrison Ford's shoulders. Oh, my God. 
I mean, being beautiful and being a princess are two completely different things. They asked her to do it, and they asked Natalie Portman to do it. That was a blessing to both Ray, uh, to both Daisy Ridley and Felicity Jones, was that among all of the things they were asked to do, uh uh-oh, they weren't asked to be princesses. He blocks the blaster, pulls the blaster. Oh, God, Boba Fett. Not even that cool of a costume. I honestly don't understand the obsession. Uh, Billy D plays this great. Because you have to buy it liking but not trusting this guy, understanding but hating his decisions, and then accepting him as a good guy at in, in the very end and moving into the next movie. So, under well, I don't think it's underappreciated. I think people love Lando, actually. As Jenny Geekrell always says, I mean, she's in love with Lando and Donald Glover in particular, but as Jenny Geekrell says, he he basically does what Han claims to do, but but better. What the hell? What the fuck? I totally forget this. Oh, they're forced to listen to the torture of Han. Oh, man, that's brutal. As I've said many times, Disney did not buy Lucasfilm and Star Wars in spite of the fact that it was dark. It bought it because it was dark. Could be done in a family PG-13, but a dark family PG-13, which Disney sorely needed, even with Marvel. And they have to keep churning out movies that are darker than Marvel. It just has to. has to be more like this in The Last Jedi and Rogue One. It has to. It can't, it, it can't and shouldn't compete with the colorful candiness of Marvel movies. I mean, who, uh, uh, look, in, in, in literature, like Asimov uh, and other writers, they were exploring such things as what's going on here. But in movies, talk about like the consciousness and the spirit and the soul of, of robots and when are they dead and when are they alive. Oh, man, this looks so horrible. It's being explored. So they torture Leia numerous times, mostly off screen. Uh, and, the, and New Hope here, it's, we're clearly seeing Han getting tortured. Torture and suicide missions are, are constants in Star Wars. Oh, is he really New Zealander in in the original? Or no, they must replace his voice. I bet you they replace his fucking voice. Those fucking assholes make. Oh my god. This is the hubris of the Empire. They bullied him, they got what they wanted, but Vader just has to rub it in about how more superior you know they are and how he's gonna you know destroy his world, blah blah blah. And guys like Lando, even after making a bad decision, are gonna maybe make a good decision in response to that, and that's the hubris of the Empire. You flee in for a ball. Calls him a mop head. <laughs>
So the original voice of Boba Fett was Jeremy Bullock, who was from England. I guess they replaced him with freaking uh, Jango Fett. Yep, and this is it. This this is the be- this is the f- full blossoming of the three dimensionality of these two characters. You know, I'm never one to say you have to have a romance, but Star Wars you kind of do after these movies, and it, it fully humanizes Han and Leia for the first time in a movie and a half. Yeah, Lando's already switching sides here, which is great. Han. Yep, here it is. He's revealed it about Skywalker. Yep, they're bait. I always forget that. As many times as I see this movie, I always forget they're just bait for Skywalker. That was such a fake punch. I mean, coming from Han, that doesn't really mean, you know... I mean, the Han Solo that we know now, it makes way more sense, but Han was ready to ditch them numerous times before he was forced to save Princess Leia. Unless he maneuvered it as I was, you know, theorizing. All right, so here we go. It's a straight shot from here to the end. So it's meant to freeze Luke... Because they're, I suppose, scared of him. It, it shows vulnerability in Vader. Um, they end up freezing Han as sort of a test slash gift to Boba Fett. Oh, right. So here it is. Yeah, it's a test. There's Lobot in the background with the head stuff, which ends up working out great. Another reason to establish L3 and sort of Lando's affinity for technology. Works well with Lobot and the computer brain. Which is something I believe was actually installed by the Empire. Uh, It's been repurposed. I mean, love or hate C-3PO, he is the voice of humor through a lot of dark parts of the second and third original movies, episodes five and six, I mean. And it, while sometimes you're cringing because he's being an annoying asshole, it never feels out of place. Yeah, they definitely replaced the voice. God damn it, Lucas. Ugh. Making the, the making the clones all native Kiwis who look exactly the same is kind of inspired and kind of offensive and horrible in the prequels. Look at Leia. Look at those eyes. Oh my god, those are Slavic eyes. I guess they have made Chewie more emotive over the uh, the years. Uh, Oh, here's the kiss. Boom. That's the kiss that sealed it. That is in this. I love you, I know. (laughs) Which is Harrison Ford's line, of course. He came up with it. 
And this, my friends, is one of the greatest practical effects tricks ever. I don't know how... I mean, they built a bust of him, essentially. Look how sad she looks. So they put him in a pit, shoot it straight up without closing it. And then... Sorry, guys, I'm just watching this brilliance. I mean, this is such an inspired design to make him like a wall here. Boom. To make him a wall. Look at that. Oh, my God. It's better that they did, they went for a kind of cartoonish and not straight realism. It actually looks more convincing. carbonites everyone knows what carbonite is even though it's fake <laughs> mm. did they just add all the bubble uh, boba fett lines does he say anything in the original honestly at this point it pisses me off more that i just don't know what the original is than i'm watching it Mm-hmm. Please. I'm Darth Vader. Uh, she's still looking at Han. I mean, you just have to buy it. You just have to buy their romance. And I totally do. Oh, there's Lobot. They're already planning. Here comes Luke with a blaster. What a poorly, poorly planned idea this is. So, for the remainder of this movie, it's just amazing action set pieces, and I'm sure I'll be commenting on it. But it's epic and classic as the Vader Luke stuff is coming up. I, I always like the Leia, Lando, and Chewie trying to get away up stuff, just because I'm more the rebel guy. I love the Jedi philosophy. I'm a philosopher and re religious scholar by, tr by sort of trade, uh... But in terms of my Star Wars movies, and Rogue One made me realize this, you know, and Solo, a Star Wars story, did it too. Look at Leia in a jumpsuit looking lovely as ever. R2, we see things from R2's perspective. The camera goes way down, which is awesome. Right, Lando's already working his plan. His eyes are darting. Here comes the programming. I mean... Blade Runner did this, a lot of movies did in the 80s, but this in 1980, this... The fact that he's controlling a man, or at least sending signals to a man, into his cyber brain, essentially, which is a ghost in the shell, also came later than this. Um, and yet that guy clearly has free will, too. It's just so, so smart. And they don't have to talk about it. You just see it. Makes Lando cool. Leia's right. It's a giant trap. Yoda tried to tell him the same thing. So, you know, in these movies, 
you know, you have to just sort of go with the Luke's trying to save Leia and them because they're my friends. But it can't be lost on him that Leia is actually probably the most important of the three of them. Um, I mean, Luke Luke ultimately defeats Vader and the Emperor, of course. But from from a practical standpoint, Leia is the most important of the three three main characters, and so that's why they're constantly trying to save her and sacrifice themselves for her, and they love her. But I do want to talk about Solo with Star Wars story because I know it's a movie that people said didn't need to be made. The general audience seems to be apathetic. The people who see it, like me, really, really, really like and enjoy it. Um, and the best parts of the movie are when we learn more. I mean, and this is always the problem with prequels is that the best prequels are when we are learning new things about our characters, not explaining things we already know. And that's why people ultimately loved Rogue One so much. Um, Considering it had other than a little Vader here, uh, who was amazing. Here comes the fight. Um, it was all new characters, and so that's what people want. Now, if people had seen the movie, they would know that Lando and Chewie and Han get all new stories, and their characters get so much more dimensional. And I actually think Alden Ehrenreich's performance of not Harrison Ford version of younger Han Solo worked great for me and it works better and better so we'll we'll get back to that when we get back to the the gunfight so there's a clear line from the epicness and cinematicness of the lightsaber battles from vader obi-wan to vader luke one to vader luke two and return of the jedi all right lando's got it I mean, if Lando could have done this from the beginning, he could have saved himself some trouble. I guess they did need Luke to get Vader out of the way. I mean, that's the equi- that's the factor. Until Vader's here, Lando actually could take the stormtroopers. And now that that Vader is distracted, he can do his plan. He, this is great. As I've commented before, it's really hard to make choking look real unless you really choke the person, which it depends on the director and the actor, I suppose. But because of Chewie's fur and this amazing acting from Billy Day, you really buy that he's getting strangled. Yeah, squints his eyes together. Okay, here he looks just like Donald Glover. It is much closer. It's undeniable Donald Glover has darker skin than Billy D, but it makes no difference. It's about personality, not skin color. <laughs> They're still shooting on Billy D suffering. I mean, having they shut down C-3PO at one point, and now he's backwards and he can't even walk. They're saving their droids, who they harass and treat like slaves. But, you know, at the same time, they love them. And that's why the, the death of L3 being the sort of head of the robot rebellion, dying in the cause, and Lando loving her and cradling her at one of many amazing moments in Solo, a Star Wars story that, yes, inform these movies, but are giving just new stories to those characters. And I think the solo movie succeeded best when it was giving new stories. It wasn't ex- just explaining stuff. Like, Rogue One was about the Death Star plans, but movie-wise... up oh, here's Slave One. There goes Han. Movie-wise, Rogue One was not about the Death Star plans. It was about a bunch of characters coming together, uh, forming a team, forming a vision, an idealism, a, a cause, and then, in the end, getting the Death Star plans, which was mostly about fighting in space and on the ground to distract from them getting the Death Star plans. And Luke is doing just the same thing here, distracting Vader. Vader specifically baited him here, Already lost his lightsaber. Luke falls down the stairs. The flying Vader. 
I think the the reason his insane force powers and uh, like close combat force powers that he uses in Rogue One work, even though he had never seen them before, is because the picture of Vader we get in this movie in particular, um, as well as A New Hope, make it very obvious that he would be capable of that. But because he's fighting Obi-Wan and then Luke twice, which are special exceptions, he's not straight up trying to murder them. Obi-Wan, he's trying to prove his point to his former Padawan and then kill. And he can't use force powers on on Obi-Wan much. Just like... And this is why the lightsaber needs to be the most powerful and why this right here is exactly why it's bullshit in The Force Awakens that FN2199, traitor! has like an electrical baton that can fight against a lightsaber. That lightsaber that John Boyega has should just rip straight through the thing. Now, it's possible John Boyega was pulling his punches and not going all the way through the way Luke's really hitting through here. But there should be no physical or energy source in this galaxy that can straight up stop a lightsaber from going through it. It might take time, like at the beginning of Phantom Menace when they're opening the doors, uh, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, because it's so thick, but there's no doubt they're going to get through those doors. All right, here we go. I mean, this is straight up 2001 Space Odyssey stuff. George Lucas was not uninfluenced by it. They sped up the film there to make the door close faster, but because Mark Hamill stood absolutely still, you can barely tell. I mean, Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford, you can judge many levels, uh, talk about many levels of their, oh my God, look how epic this is with Vader, many levels of their performance, but their physical performance as fighters and just scoundrels and, you know, and on the run and everything, everything they do it is unmatched by, I mean, you know, you've got Chris Evans as Captain America, Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, there's a few... Ray, they make it work with Jin, but I mean, Ray, Ray, I'm really scared of like Felicity Jones turns me on because she's just my kind of woman all around. And Jin Erso is my favorite movie character. Uh, uh, she's beautiful. Daisy Ridley's beautiful, but Daisy Ridley's attractive. Cause I really feel like this somewhat small girl could kill me with her finger. And I, I find that extremely attractive as Han Solo does. <laughs> Because, let's be honest, Princess Leia, person of nobility and power, could ki- physically or otherwise kill him. And Kira, even though Solo doesn't realize it till it's too late, is perfectly capable of killing him at any moment. And so, the great lesson here, people, is... George Lucas's brilliance in terms of women wasn't just having strong female characters, but having strong female male characters be attracted to those strong female characters because they are strong females. They are strong women. This is exactly why Jin and Cassian are attracted to each other, and Han and Leia are tra- and Luke to various reasons are attracted to each other. It's why Rey and Kylo are attracted to each other. Well, Kylo is definitely attracted to Rey. I don't know why I'm the only one that sees this. I, I don't understand the many young women who who love Raylo who think there's a possibility, not just because of the unredeemable part, but because I don't think Rey is interested whatsoever. I think people are totally projecting when it comes to Adam Driver. And, uh, oh, here comes Leia, just shooting the laser. Try not to close her eyes. It's great. 
But if nothing's coming out when they're pulling the trigger, I don't know why she'd be squinting. Maybe it's to simulate reality, actually. Because you're thinking, oh, maybe there's squibs coming out if she's squinting. Oh, God, she's brilliant. The fact that I don't know what Carrie Fisher's manipulating in terms of her performance and our reaction, it just shows her brilliance. Here we go. This is the Han. What's great is, not only is Princess Leia, I, maybe probably the first... Well, she's definitely the first Star Wars character to have her own full theme. It's one of the greatest compositions of all time. But next to it is Han Leia, which is used even more um, than the straight, uh, more stately uh, march or whatever that is, Leia's theme. Look at her. She is just blowing away stormtroopers. Hot damn. Woo! Go. Here's Lando. This is Lando earning his chops. And now we know... Part of the reason Han takes back Lando so quickly isn't just because he comes... I mean, he comes out of Carbonite and immediately trusts Lando. He sees that his friends are trusting Lando, but Han starts trusting Lando when he's out of the Carbonite because they went on that mission together to Kessel. They went on the Kessel run together. Lando flew there and Han flew back. It was brilliant. It's brilliant. And as much fan service as there is, if you can ignore the, uh, oh, that's how you got the last name Solo, and that's why you're called Chewy stuff which was just unnecessary get past that realize how many great stories you can tell with these characters um and i I think the real shame of solo isn't just that it made less money than it should have or they expected but it was it's essentially a bomb I, i mean it's definitely a bomb at the moment financially considering how much money was spent shooting and then completely reshooting the movie this is great this is great. In my old commentary I never released, I said this wasn't as epic as a final Jedi battle. But because this is out in the open, it, it's definitely as epic. What's cool about Jedi is they're, they're hiding. Luke's always hiding and stuff in, in little places around the uh, Palpatine's room. Seems like a security threat. Emperor to have a lot of... Uh-oh, here we go. Do I not have my subtitles on? Doesn't really matter. Oh, no, there it is. I'm just that into the movie. I mean, look, the fact that the the, the old the eighties computer uh dot matrix design around all these walls here that look very convincing, even by today's standard, um, match Vader's buttons. I mean they they're red, they move the same way. This is this is Vader's domain here, physically but especially in terms of force power. I mean, Ray's hatred of, of Kylo is way makes way more sense than, than Luke's hatred of Vader. So this isn't, I mean, only James Earl Jones, Irvin Kirshner, the director, uh, Lawrence Kasdan, the writer, George Lucas, and Luke. Luke knew they had to have Mark Hamill react to the fact that he said, Obi-Wan Kenobi, but everyone, including the, the camera operators, the cinematographer, the stage directors, the support crew, everyone else heard, maybe they heard nothing, but if they heard anything, they say, Obi-Wan is your father. And so they must have been somewhat confused because it, while he would grieve Obi-Wan being his father and being dead, it wouldn't be the same as your father is dead in spirit in front of you trying to kill you. And this is something I do forget because Vader is so, so loyal 
uh, to the emperor in, in the the final movie. But like Kylo, he's always plotting. That's part of the two, you know? I mean, it's one of the things the prequels brought forward is that there are always two, and the number two is always trying to stop to take over number one and number one knows it. And you know, so the master cultivates the apprentice to be powerful, but not too powerful. And eventually the, the Padawan gets powerful enough. Hand is missing down the big hole. No injuries straight through the chute. That's probably a stunt person. Who cares? Yep. This is really Luke's movie. Um, I mean, as great as the Han and Leia and then Leia and Lando stuff are, um, it just doesn't take up that much time, which is too bad because I was hoping to talk more at Leia and Han, but you know how I feel about it. As I've said, in some ways, Leia is the traditional male American uh, role and Han is traditional old school female American role in terms of what's expected of them and what's perceived about them. Carrie Fisher, uh, Princess Leia, still a woman. Han Solo, still a man. This is probably the most complicated on-screen, big-budget uh, relationship of the modern era. I don't really know. You know, I mean, movies like Aliens and Blade Runner and stuff never really even attempted to deal with that sort of thing. Two thousand one, not. Uh, so here it is. Okay. So this is why I think for sure Lucas knew. Because they've already said there's another. We keep seeing how great Leia is. And here comes her psychic powers that we see happen again and Return of the Jedi when she says Luke's not dead. And when she senses Han's death and Force Awakens. Look at her. Yep. S- sorry, guys. Luke almost wins this movie. Luke. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> Yeah. I wonder how much Finn was supposed to be based on Lando. Not in terms of womanizing and being a scoundrel. And certainly not as a black dude, but as just sort of like the guy that has to turn to the good guys by necessity and doesn't really fit in right away. Come on, hand on, buddy. Got to get that shield gate down. (laughs) But we can't... We can take out those Star Destroyers. What was he saying? We can, we can go after those Star Destroyers and maybe take down a few of them with us. He actually doesn't have that thick of a quote-unquote black accent, does Billy D. It's very subtle. Um, I think, I don't want to speak for the black community. I think the black community is split uh, between thinking he's a bit of a stereotype, recognizing, I mean, just in my own opinion and people I know who are black and white and otherwise, he, he, I don't think he's, I think he bucks the stereotype. They set up the stereotype as a misdirection early on, but his true character is not a stereotype. He's just an out and out good guy like Han who got caught up in some bad situations. And we had to, that's why we had to see Lando be at least briefly a good guy in the solo movie to set this up. I mean, it's brilliant. And the fact that these guys wrote, I mean, I don't think they advertise well enough to the public who normally doesn't care about who writes movies, but I think if they had played more up the Lawrence Kasdan, Hey, you guys remember that movie? The empire strikes back. That's one of the best movies ever. Yeah. That guy is writing the solo movie, you know, in the movie where solo became an iconic character. People really liked solo, uh, and Leia after, uh, episode four, but Luke was the clear, I mean, even more than here, main favorite. And while Luke continues to get a lot of screen time, 
in Jedi. It's more of a team up, Avenger style team up movie, and that's why I'm so excited for nine. That I want the team back together. I'm a sucker for the team being together, and that's why Ultron works for me. Actually, into Civil War is. I'm okay because we get the team being together and then we get them split up, but you know they're getting back together with the Avengers. Oh, she kissed Luke again. So she's kissed him on the cheek once, on the makeout once, uh, almost motherly kiss to the lips there. She's never interested in Luke sexually and Luke knows it, you know. He was just giving Han a hard time. Because you had to sell that two very different personalities like Han and Luke would instantly like each other. And one of the, another great thing Solo a Star Wars Story does is put Han and Chewie in a bad situation together where they're almost killing each other and then realize they should work together, but then instantly bond and start liking each other. It's not my fault. (laughs) And now he sounds like Han. Yeah, Leia's going, I'm, here she is. Leia's flying the ship. She's fixing the ship. She's flying the ship. She's princess, political leader, military leader, diplomatic leader, spiritual leader, emotional leader. She's got force powers, which they teased here. And we we finally see it episode eight. I mean, Leia is OP, but not in the traditional sense of like Darth Vader. She's overpowered because she's just good at everything. And she can do anything. She's the jack of all trades and a master of all trades. And if she wanted to train to be a Jedi, she could have. She made the decision to not do that, as we learn. And the only reason she her first powers kick in in Return of the Jedi is because her body is dying in space. And subconsciously, without her even doing anything, I wonder if she knew if she would have stopped it, her body saves her using the Force. Oh, and he says, Ben there. Ben, why didn't you tell me? Right, they could have shot that much later. That could have been like, Ben, why didn't you tell me you were, your, my, you were my father? I'm thinking the people around the shooting of all this knew something was up. But they didn't have any proof. And I mean, this was the beginner of beginning of spoiler culture. This was the beginning of assholes leading the theater going, Vader Skywalker's father, you know? It, it's, it's an amazing plot twist, but it's only amazing because they, they knew there was a third movie coming. Like Kenobi's death happened at the perfect time in the movie so that it still was important at the end. This is only important because... The movie makers during the making of the movie and now with the release and the audience all know this movie's going to make money and they're going to do a third. Again, not sure if there had been a true trilogy. I don't think the Godfather trilogy had wrapped up by then. It's possible it had. I have to look that up. Um, but I think Lucas has probably read Tolkien once or twice. Wow! <laughs> I love BB-8. I have both BB-8 and... Uh, uh, are to like text tones, you know, like SMS tones on my phone. But oh, this look from Vader is great. He doesn't blame them. He blames himself. This is why no one dies here. And this is why I said earlier, I'd rather be judged by Vader than Kylo. Kylo would just start destroying things and maybe you. Vader realizes it's his own failure. They're all looking at him, waiting for him to kill them all. And he just leaves. It's none of their fault. And there's nobody to blame but himself. Oh, we're back with the rebel fleet, baby. Oh, God. The jump in in Rogue One and the jump in in Return of the Jedi. I mean, 
you know, Jenna Giga gives me a hard time. My gin gin with Jenner, so. But the real orgasms almost occur every time I see giant rebel fleets. I just can't help it. They're so beautiful. The ship designs are inspired. They're varied enough. Lando's already flying. We know it was his ship. It's funny, because of the way the Falcon... Here's the thing about the Falcon... They have the cockpit way to the side, but they film it in terms of what they're seeing in the view screen and how the ship is moving as if they're in the front. That's the thing that never made sense about the Falcon. You think, oh, look at that smile from Carrie Fisher. Actually, it's a little flirty. Oh, there's the medical droid. Luke, thinking about it. Got his new hand. Yep, 1980 people. Real fake hands. That's not Mark Camel's real hand, I, I swear. The ending of this movie, obviously nowhere near as depressing as Rogue One, but there's a sadness to it, and the full blast of the the Han Leia score coming up. Mm-hmm. Right, so so the Han the Han Leia goes. Mm-hmm. Princess Leia's theme goes. Dun, 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 I mean, it's. I was saying earlier is Leia's theme is the best since other than Ray and then hot and Leia's second best, which comes directly from Leia. God bless John Williams. Whoop, there goes the ship. So Lando and, and, and Chewie are like on the front line. They must know, of course he's going to Tatooine. I can't imagine that much time elapses between here. Look how beautiful that frigate is when the frigate gets broken, like snapped in half in the middle, uh, at the end of the rogue one fight, when Darth Vader's ship shows up, Oh, yeah, baby. Woo! All right. Irvin Kirshner directed barely nothing in his life. Gary Kurtz produced tons of stuff in his life. Written by Lee Brackett and Lawrence Kasdan. Amazing. George Lucas. Yeah, dude. I don't know. The fact that Han Solo is going to make like a fifth of what Force Awakens made. I mean, even in real dollars today, all three of the original movies would make many, many times more unfortunately with what uh with what solo's making but this was amazing i love this movie but two things are becoming clear to me i should stop being afraid to definitively assert that return of the jedi is my favorite of the originals and that rogue one is i think now at the very top just because it's my movie it came out in my life i would have loved to experience all these in the theater i didn't and Rogue One represents all that great rebel stuff and the idealism and so forth while getting some Force stuff in. This movie got a ton of Force stuff in. Music by John Williams. Um, with Yoda, obviously. So, yeah. I mean, you have the Hoth battle. You have the Yoda stuff. While you have the, the, the Han Leia stuff going on. And then you have Cloud City with Lando. And then you have Vader Luke. I mean, there's just so many great arcs, even if it is just three big acts, essentially, uh, which is great. I, I would I honestly, in some movies, appreciate the return to old school, um, uh, you know, sectioning of acts that way. Um, it's a movie of moments. Um, for, for me, Rogue One, I used to love because it was a movie of moments. I said that earlier. Actually, now I love the entire movie beginning to end. There's only a couple moments like Borgala I could do, you know, I could do without, but I still love because it's Rogue One. Um, but this movie is moments. Uh, there are some some sort of dead periods or like things that don't totally connect or make sense. 
but you have to take the messy with the ingenious and uh, this is certainly that. So thank you for listening. Hopefully you've checked out my new Hope commentary with Simi. And me and Simi will also be doing Return of the Jedi. I will also be doing prequel commentaries, if you can believe it. I've already done a Revenge of the Sith one. So I may just re-release that. But I'm going to do Episode 1, The Phantom Menace, with Jedi Geek Girl, which will be interesting. I have to hold my tongue and not make her mad because I don't like a movie. Um, and then Attack of the Clones, <laughs> I'm going to do with Simi, which will be great. I don't know how much of the movie I'll be watching. Watching, but I'll definitely have a great time with Simi. Um, I thought I just said the publicist was Kristen Wing, Wig, Kirsten Wing. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Get ready for some more commentaries coming out. May the force be with you. Rebellions are built on hope, and the bizzle is out.